Hello and welcome into a special episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Reams, and today is special because it's my first time announcing this, but after 192 episodes or something crazy like that, I am wrapping up this show and the Esports Minute to pursue a new opportunity. It's been two years that I've been doing this. I've interviewed so many amazing guests and it's just been an absolute pleasure to do this show. And thank you to everybody who has been listening to it, whether this is your first show or your 193rd, I appreciate you a ton. I have exactly two more shows for you. This one is my second to last and I promise that they are both absolute bangers. Today, we are talking to CEO and co-founder of AFK Creators, Matt Woods, better known as Matios. Matios, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mitch. Super excited and sad, but also honored to be one of the last guests. It has been uh, quite a ride, quite a ride for sure. And uh, I am so happy to have you on the show because we're going to be talking about one of the big stories in esports, which is this transition from esports organizations into these hubs of digital influence, the rise of the gaming influencer, and really so much that's kind of central to what esports is right now. Uh, but first, you need to know about AFK Creators. As a streamer and YouTube content creator, Matios has been in and around esports for years. In 2019, he co-founded AFK Creators, a talent management and influencer marketing agency. They have players like Ellis, NRG's Rogue, Five Up, The Among Us God, Average Jonas, in addition to another 1,500 or so influencers. Since being founded, AFK Creators has run major campaigns for brands like Manscaped and NordVPN. For brands, AFK Creators runs tournaments, helps coordinate brand partnerships with esports properties, and manages campaigns. For esports players and content creators, AFK takes on the role of agent, finds independent brand deals, and helps them build their own personal brands. On the show, we're going to be talking about AFK, of course, but really expanding this conversation wider to that ongoing push of esports organizations into hubs of digital influence, that rise of the gaming influencer, why they're unique in the world of influencer marketing, and how companies like AFK help navigate Twitch and YouTube for their clients. So, Matios, first, take us behind the inception of the AFK brand. What did you see missing as a Twitch streamer and content creator that you wanted to create for others? Yeah, so back in... This was 2018 is when I know life League of Legends and, and became somewhat good at the game, but more good at the easiest um, champion in the game, which is which is Ivan, uh, most popularized by, by Tyler One in the last couple of years. Um, but entering into that space, um, into the content world, trying to make educational content and um, playing with with high low players at the time, it quickly became apparent to me that there was really a lack of um, trust and transparency, and also knowledge at times um, on the part of content creators or influencers, if you want to call them that. Um, which ultimately were my friends. Um, I never really had grand ambitions to to want to become um, a celebrity status at all. But what I did really want to do is help my friends not get um, you know, screwed over by by opportunities, to put it bluntly. Um, and so that's kind of how I entered into the space, helping um, many people in League of Legends. Um, and over time, that expanded to work with content creators, streamers, pro players across a wide variety of games. And not just in my, um, my homeland of the UK, but uh, very quickly through word of mouth, working with creators all around the world, um, which is something quite unique about AFK, because since day one, we've had that very much global diverse mindset about ourselves um 
and really what what then became apparent working with creators and helping them you know respond to business inquiries and negotiate their deals um, and deliverables with with brands was equally especially in the esports startup world but more generally for for all, all opportunities is that brands themselves wouldn't necessarily know how to approach influencers and how to to structure deals and coming from this background of uh, marketing and growth in, in my full-time job um, i was really able to help them um, and that really became a passion because i had a passion for esports i had a passion for startups and i could see great teams and great products who really wanted to grow their user base um, and work with influencers which many of them followed themselves and, and were big fans of just didn't know how to do it in the best way so that's how AFK came to, came to be, and it's been a wild two rides, growing from myself working out of a, a bedroom uh, to being 30 people today with people based all around the world. Um, we have over 150 signed uh, exclusive influencers and pro players, and it's it's been a wild ride, but uh, it's it's great to be able to to help others. That's that's really the main uh, the main goal from from the outset. Absolutely. And it's been a, a very interesting year for absolutely everybody. And AFK was created about a month before I actually launched this podcast, assuming January 2019, which uh, I believe I saw is the uh, correct launch date for AFK. That's about a year. And so we've at a weird spot here because we basically spent one year of the podcast or your company in COVID times and one year outside of it can you compare and contrast how those two years sort of ran because it's definitely been an interesting switch up even though there's been a lot that stayed the same the conversations have changed and the way brands have approached this space have definitely changed as well so could you contrast sort of that first year of creation and then how it changed as we get past this one year mark of covid really becoming a global disease which happened in march of 2020 yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's changed in, in many ways. Like for our company, we we had an office um, that shut down, but we were fortunate enough that we always had people working remotely. I think the the day to day of our, our role, other than having to accept that every communication is limited, hasn't really changed so much. Um, one of the biggest thing that has changed and I think has really changed to impact brands is the inability uh, to do things physically so obviously you know there's no twitchcon anymore there's no other industry events um, there's no way to attend um, things if i was a brand to educate myself on the space how best to enter so what i have noticed is that being removed has restricted certain opportunities especially if i was a non-endemic brand thinking how do i enter into the space certain traditional elements which they could relate to and understand have been completely removed. Um, and it also has inhibited, I think, the network of smaller influencers, let's put it, that were kind of quite reliant upon going to these physical events and networking, building rapport and relationships with brands face-to-face. -face. Um, so that's one thing I've definitely noticed, but um, we're definitely very fortunate and in the privileged position to be a company that um, unfortunately has, has kind of not, I don't want to say benefited, but prospered under, under COVID because the nature of, of the work we do can be done remote. Everything's online. The digital and gaming space has exploded for obvious reasons. Um, and so 
you know, there's just been more opportunities and there's been more exciting opportunities to work with brands that want to experiment, uh, whether that be, you know, a fast food delivery company um, or even an energy drink company that previously wasn't in the space. Absolutely. We've seen quite a few brands expand esports or gaming strategies, especially last spring when basically the entire world was on a full shutdown. There was no sports happening. There were no events and most events haven't taken place, but we have seen things start to creep back up. We've seen sports begin to return. Uh, but during that spring, there was this huge rush. Everybody I talked to at esports was like, yeah, we're fielding three times as many calls from brands as we were three months ago. And this is just kind of nuts like that. So what the conversations I've been trying to focus on lately are like, what's permanent that comes out of this COVID period and what was just like a stopgap for it? In your opinion, what's one thing that happened during COVID that you think is going to have a lasting impact on esports? And maybe what's something that was just a COVID holdover uh, and is going to go away now that we can, you know, assumingly run back into conventions uh, maybe as early as late summer, early fall? I think that's a really good question. I would say you, you, you started that, that that question talking about esports and gaming. And I think, um, and I don't want to be too cynical, but I think a lot of people immediately turn to esports as a, as a physical sports alternative. And I feel that is often where brands um, make their, their first exploration in the space and often sometimes first get burnt. I think what was really positive is that brands have discovered gaming and that gaming has now transitioned very quickly into not being something that's ostracized by society, but rather something that is seen as part of the wider lifestyle. Um, and it always has been, to be to be completely honest, at least in my opinion, it's just never been marketed that way. And so now when you see more NFL stars and NBA players and music artists making content in gaming, um, you're going to get into this this space where brands see it the same way. So I think that's probably the, the biggest positive to, to come from it. I think what may go away is the idea that esports can be marketed in, in the same way as traditional sports and seen as a success. I feel that there's no quick wins in esports. Like there could be with the Super Bowl, you could do a 30 second ad at the Super Bowl and it will go viral. Everyone will remember it and it will have a legacy in esports. You need to have a, a long-term plan, whether it's two, three, four years, if you're a brand coming into sponsoring events. Um, and even in, in terms of sponsoring teams, I think one of the reasons why esports teams have become so content creator streamer focused over the last 12 months is often because the big brand deals they have are ultimately reliant still on a level of sales or a level of performance and not just measured by um, how many eyes did we get. Um, the brand awareness, let's take a brand like Gillette, um, obviously being around in the space for a long time. Gillette isn't really driven by brand awareness. Everybody knows Gillette and everybody will know Gillette forevermore. So what what's important for them? Yes, targeting this audience, but ultimately it will come down to ROI and sales. Um, and that is where people maybe tried experimenting esports hoping for quick results um, and won't have seen them. And they may still continue to work with gaming. They may start work with influencers across platforms and through with teams. 
but I think either the nature of the the deal or the nature they approach esports itself may change. That's a really good take, and yeah, I absolutely agree that the brands that just kind of treat it like a sports sponsorship, which are these very rigid sponsorships, it's like okay, you get this much space, it's exactly this big. This is how much exposure it generally generates. Here's what it costs. Boom, you're done. And you can do that for esports. You can have a logo play or something like that. But the brands that are consistently being successful in the space are doing something more creatively. Whether that's Ford putting a car in game, whether that's uh, MasterCard or even some of the, the League of Legends partnerships that we've seen where they bring things into it. They bring them into uh, the video content programming. There's like more brands can do. And the brands that are just kind of slapping a logo on something and calling it good uh, aren't finding very su- very much success in esports, I don't think. Yeah, and I think there's two things to touch upon there. One is the experience. And I think that is what's really special is when brands, MasterCard, prime example, experience is at the heart of everything they're doing and creating through esports. Um, when, when brands create experiences, they really resonate um, a positive sentiment and long-lasting sentiment that is for for the community and for the audience um you know when brands treat it like tv advertising um it doesn't and it quickly gets ignored and i i don't want to be critical of anything but i think twitch ads and the and the community's resistance to watching twitch ads and being served them is a, a really good example of this um and i think that's also something talking about how things change and how brands first approach the space when they're coming to understand it, you know, I speak with clients all, all the time that are really interested in in Twitch. Like they don't necessarily watch Twitch. They don't necessarily even game, but they're bullish on both and they know they should be. Um, and their next question is always, how do, how do I get into this? How do we start marketing into this? And this is where they're just trying to understand. And it's about how people are educated with good intentions throughout. Um, what the results and, and how they see success because it's very easy for someone to come from marketing campaign on tv and find similar stats um you know you could look at watch hours on twitch or for an esports event across platforms but does watch hours really translate to the best way in which a a brand should invest into the space it, it might not necessarily do so it might require um having a much more um holistic approach Absolutely. I think there's a there's quite a bit there that makes a lot of sense. And you talk about how, you know, brands are figuring out how they fit in this space. And that's really what's kind of at this core of the push into more influencer marketing, where you could do the esports partnership, which is with a league, and it just kind of exists there from the top level, or we're seeing more and more brands uh, you partner with places like AFK to do a wide push across gaming in general, uh, not necessarily beholden to esports, maybe spanning tons of different genres, different games, all trying with you know the central goal of like, hey, it's gaming and our brand generally appeals to gamers. When you break down some of the partnerships and some of the brand deals that you've done and some of the crazy metrics that you've also delivered for brands like Manscaped and NordVPN, what's the like general strategy going into something like that? You know, how do you, uh, when you have people who like five up, who's running among us and then other people who are playing Valorant and then other people who are playing league of legends, 
those are all fairly different games. There's all, there's clearly some crossover there. Uh, how do you make sure that you're delivering the best possible results for brands across all of gaming with partnerships like that? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know we're we have our our agency and our teams like split quite quite clearly between different different lies and responsibilities. And you know, often when it comes to you know those clients that you mentioned like Nord and Manscaped, they're great examples of of kind of direct response marketers really driven by ROI and sales. And therefore, you know, if they don't see performance, um, it's not going to work for them. And so our approach is always going to be how do we get the best results for our client, not short term, but long term um, to build those partnerships. And we're very lucky to work with someone like Nord for over a year now um, and be a trusted partner of them. And so uh, along that, along that, journey we're helping them test always test like that's something i think is really important for any marketer in their philosophy is about testing and, and being brave enough to do so you know test working with an esports team how does a deal work with an esports team that then still provides performance for for them um but you know those clients are very willing to try working with a hundred different channels in a hundred different ways um, and see what produces the best results for them. Um, you know, other brands that we work with might not have that luxury. And that is when it really comes down to um, close consideration of what, what the brand's goal is. So another one of our clients um, that we're very fortunate to work with is, is a company called Clearstart, who are part of the Dermalogica family. Um, and they are the perfect example of a non-endemic brand that know nothing about the space you know like they they're not gamers they don't watch twitch they don't really understand but they're super excited and they want to start learning they want to do more in the space and the biggest question really for any brand like this is what can we do like and and that's an open-ended question um and i think what's really exciting for for these brands that don't know what they can do is when you can say like well, there is so many aspects that we can do. We could work through, you know, YouTube integrated ads. We could work through, um, you know, Twitch advertising. It could be passive. We could set up a tournament for you. We could create a challenge. We could work with an esports team. And the list is very endless. Um, and where we start and where we end could could be very different based on the, um, the results they see at the very beginning. And that is, I think, what... Um, there's some cases that have happened over the last few years in esports where a big brand has excitedly entered the space, got it wrong, and then they get their their you know their hands burnt for a year or two and, and don't come back straight away. Um, but when they do, they they start to to try different things. So um, what's really interesting about a a company like Clearstar is they're really interested in not just getting um sales even though like sales is fantastic you know they're, they're a company that wants to sell products but um you know they're 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 really interested in in twitch as a platform because of the engagement and the engagement mm -hmm. of the community and the audience watching twitch versus maybe what they see on their paid advertising or you know influencer posts on instagram is much higher and it's really clearly reflected by how many times are people repeatedly coming to the page and how many times and how long are people actually staying on the page? Not just, oh, we made, you know, 30 sales this month. So um, to answer your question, how do we how do we get the best results working with so many different avenues? It's very much a, a, a process of trying and testing and learning. 
um, but guiding the, the clients using whatever historical data and whatever expertise we have um, to the best of our ability. And I think this is, again, what I'll go back to an example like, you know, um, like Gillette is they progressed, you know, they entered the space mm -hmm. through promoting with the league and then they work with a team like TSM and now they're doing a, um, you know, Gillette alliance with streamers. They're progressing continuously through different um, elements in the space, whether that be esports, gaming, influencers. And I think that is the correct journey because throughout that process of discovery of what works, they've also built their reputation amongst the community and they've not just come in and left straight away, um, which always has a bad taste for people. Absolutely. Really, really great point there. And yeah, Gillette, that kind of pipeline where it starts with the leagues, goes to the team that usually one of the better teams in whatever league they're doing, and then uh, expands into this gaming influencer. And we're seeing more and more brands just kind of skip the top level thing, maybe because that's not, not an opportunity open to them. And they're just going straight to the gaming influencer. Uh, but we're also seeing esports organizations make sure that they have a large roster of influencers. And there's a few reasons for that, of course. Um, but over the last few years, it's been a huge trend in esports where, okay, competitive teams were at the core of what we do. And then sometimes those people who played competitively became major influencers. But more and more, it's it's moving into this world of we're actually influencer content focused first. You see that with things like Adam Reimer becoming the CEO of Envy Gaming and Hastro moving over to Chief Gaming Officer where he's in charge of their competitive teams really just highlights a, hey, media and content is the core of what we do now. And also we're doing all of our competitive teams as well. But the CEO comes from a media background, not from a I build great competitive team background. And, you know, we're seeing that repeated by uh, places like 100 Thieves. FaZe Clan's obviously an OG in this. Uh, also, TSM's Fortnite team is a great example of this, where they went from, hey, we're trying to grab the people we think are the best Fortnite players. Actually, these guys are all variety streamers now, and we're having an entire new roster of Fortnite teams. And then we had to cut them, but we've kept all of our variety streamers, our Myth, our Hamlins, our Dakotas, people like that who were originally picked up because of how good they were at Fortnite. So we're seeing these trends all over. From your perspective, where does this extend to, especially as we leave the pandemic time and people can get back together, places can start creating a lot more content with their large rosters of gaming influencers. It's harder to get everybody in the same room uh, when there's quarantine to worry about. So how do we see this push into gaming influence from the esports organization side really expand or potentially explode going into the, the latter half of 2021? Yeah, there's definitely a, a, a lot to this. You know, the reasons why teams started doing it in the first place um, to grow their to grow their brand, um, to fulfill brand obligations as well was a big thing. You know, if you go back to the, the day when a team was purely competitive and they brought on a sponsor, well, they don't want any of the players not focusing on the on their play they don't want them to like have to take a day off to go do a car commercial <laughs> so i think that's why brands started picking up content creators and also to you know continually grow and and for generally good reasons you know for also for like that content strategy whenever we talk to a team that wants to pick up one of our players we're always asking like how do they fit into your your content strategy do you have a direction for them because that's an important reason why the team values picking up that content creator 
you know, and and I think why we have them now today and why more, you know, during COVID, like tons of teams are picking up creators is much more for the way in which teams are becoming media brands. You know, teams will outrightly say it themselves. Um, I've, I've seen teams in Europe like Makers um, doing this. I think Fnatic is increasingly becoming a media brand, TSM. And then you have teams like that straight up are a media brand from, from day one, whether it's a, a phase or an exa. And I, and I think, oh, there goes Alexa. Um, I think a lot of how how things are progressing is, is going to be very interesting to see because I think being a content creator on a team has huge benefits if the team is going to help you grow and help bring you opportunities otherwise. Um, otherwise, I think you could be in a position where you are hindering your own personal brand by being on a team if they want to become a media brand. Um, and an example of this could be when Tifu was on, when Tifu was on, uh, I'm forgetting the org now, but I think it was on Phase. phase. Yeah, yeah. So when, when Tifu was on Phase, that was a prime example um, of where someone grew too big for an org potentially. Um, and I think this will this will happen. But going back to my earlier point, you see this the other way around, where a smaller org will pick up a bigger content creator in order to help use the content creator's social media power um, to grow their own fan base. So there's multiple ways in which it, it benefits people. Um, I think a team can make a content creator. I think that's what FaZe's big attraction is to a lot of content creators. Um, how do I think it's going to change in the latter half of this year? I think there's a real big promise if if COVID goes away, like we all hope, that you now get in a position where you can do amazing things with all your large super content creators, um, which could be a platform for explosion. Um, or it could be a an alternative, and, and I think it depends team on team, where teams will be like, okay, well, we're now through COVID, we could drop some of these content creators and, and really double down back on competitive. And I really want to see esports teams be as competitive as possible. And if they're not wanting to be as competitive as possible, that they become like gaming media brands. I think the halfway house is always a is always a tricky spot to be in, um, especially for the fans. I think it creates a lot of frustration for fans when you know their their team is their team is losing and you know their favorite their favorite players can can just point like well you know we we are focusing on on doing other things so it is certainly a very tough balance to strike and you mentioned how the scales are tipping a little bit in in the okay now orgs are actually reaching out to content creators in the past it was like Hey, I'm a content creator. My goal is to get picked up by an org because that's what the next best step for me is. And there's a very few that are independent and super successful. With creators getting bigger, many are now going independent. We see them striking individual deals with the platform that they create content with, be that YouTube, Twitch, or previously Mixer. Uh, or they're entering into negotiations with organizations with a lot more leverage than they had previously. How have you seen that balance of power shift over the last few years when it comes to gaming influencers and their relationship to organizations and other companies? Well, that's a really, really good question because um, 
and I honestly don't think anyone's ever talked about this before. I'm, hopefully, I'm not breaching something for doing so. But um, one of the, one of the things I think that has really shifted, and this is like you know publicly visible, is how many teams are now sponsored with streaming platforms. There was a there was a phase two years ago where an org was signing to Caffeine or Twitch um, every other week, and if you notice, it's been very quietly happening. These partnerships have just been fading away. Um, and one of the things that this did bring to the ecosystem, this provided the funding for teams to pick up creators and build them into, you know, whatever deal they may have with the streaming platforms. And what you're touching upon is creators are becoming big enough now to demand quite rightfully, or in some cases just be given um, streaming platform deals. Um, and so I think it changes the dynamic quite a lot because if you're a streamer of a certain size, you can go and get your own deal and you're quite aware now that when you join that team, you may or may not, depending on how you negotiate your contract, be built into their team deal, which can limit you from other opportunities. Plus you have to then take on, you know, whatever sponsorship categories they may have blacked out. So I think it plays a really dynamic um role in shaping how creators see teams and especially the upcoming grown creators i think their reasons for joining the team remain forever strong um i just think it makes harder decisions for bigger creators and that's often where we have to have um the more difficult discussions about understanding that where their interests lie versus what might be best for them uh, for their brand and their career and i think to to add to this you you would definitely see more and more opportunities uh, more and more um more and more cases whereby individuals may have their own deal that could be separate to the team where the team accommodates them um but one thing that hasn't changed is the power of the brand still exists so like you know if you're a tsm if you're a phase um 100 thieves that kind of exoticism or admiration of the brand when that's built up to such a level where people will join you and you don't even need to be paid because they really want to be part of phase you know that's when the the media brand kicks in because you see this like i think phase are the best example of this where they will do a phase top five competition and you have some of the biggest content creators on youtube twitch whatever the platform may be entering producing you know, hours of content um, that gets millions of views. And they'll even promote some of their sponsors along the way for free just to get a chance to be in the team. And I think that is um, quite incredible um, and deserves applause for for the team in the first place to build that level of um, brand value. Um, but then it's also quite astonishing to see, you know, that kind of chasing the dream. And I think that that exists across all sports if you do think about it you know that kind of level of fan engagement um is the same in soccer baseball um nba like it's, it's across the board absolutely it's incredibly fascinating we're also seeing streamers yeah one attach themselves to brands like that or two create their own brands like offline tv where they're like actually we could do this without the overarching uh brand name that might cut us off to some things and we could just sort of have our audience and just deliver viewers in between each other and have people kind of 
move around this smaller ecosystem, bringing people in and really being a, a core part of Twitch and content creators for, you know, uh, the better part of the last year is offline TV has just been, you know, dominating things, especially dominating the Among Us trend. Uh, and I find it really fascinating how creators are realizing their own power in real time, especially over the last few years where it's just like, okay, wait, this can be just us. We are at the center of this and everything can revolve around us if we figure out the right way to do this. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I like, you know, I don't actually have the privilege of knowing the the guys over offline TV personally, but I think I respect everything they've done. And I think they've really not just done things for themselves, but they've done things for the whole Twitch community and, and culture. I know they, they run like a discovery to find the next streamer. Um, program and and that's great because it really gives um the opportunity to a wider more diverse um community because i i think one of the one of the big things that is a wide widely spoken criticism across esports and gaming is kind of the closed nature of it um there's a lot of people hiring their friends there's a lot of people helping each other <laughs> if they know each other I think that's why Austin is now like streamer city um, because everyone's there. Um, and if you're not there, maybe you're missing out. And I, I know that will affect people in their, in their mental health. But I think, you know, opportunities and, and activations like that is, is great. And there is, at least in, in my eyes, you know, distinct lack of um, ways to kind of get up, up the ladder in, in certain genres on, on the streaming world um so it's fantastic that that people are doing that and just because they're successful doesn't mean they've forgotten where they come from absolutely and i think there's something to be said for the benefit they gain as well by being somebody who can uplift other streamers phase has done an amazing job of this over time with all the contests they do where they're like hey we're gonna pull a streamer up and that gets you know sometimes they find people like tifu who then just uh explode the phase brand and then they enter into a messy legal battle uh but other than that you know the <laughs> initially it was very successful um i just saw it this is a, a not entirely related but i saw cloaksy tweet out uh something a few days ago where he's like phase clan has been great there are all these negotiations except he left the quotation marks on so you could tell it came directly from phase and then he had to delete it and then retweet it without the without the quote marks on the end. It was like this statement about how great FaZe has been throughout the contract negotiations. Um, just, just found it interesting how sort of like those relationships exist. But it feels like in the case of things like offline TV, there's always going to be some drama. But when it's a streamer created and streamer supported organization like that, there's kind of this idea that, hey, if we uplift other streamers, that's just going to increase all of our bargaining power. Uh, and it's going to help introduce us to new audiences and bring in other people who might not be already watching our content. Yeah, and, it, and it's and it's streamer-owned as well. And I think that's the that's the big d determining factor because I'm sure I, I don't really know anything about the uh, the phase cloaksy situation, but <laughs> you, you're in you're in this uh, you're in this world, right, where everyone sets out with the best intentions and everyone is becoming like, you know, good friends and know and tr puts trust in others. But at the end of the day, in these big organizations, as they, you know, explode, it's because of investors and it's because of funding. And, you know, sometimes you see people brought in that are completely from outside the ecosystem. And that's really important for the growth and more 
professional um, approach to, to building something great. Um, but equally, you can get caught in traps where everything is money motivated. Everything is, um, yeah. you know, no longer taken in, in a casual way, um, which can then, you know, corrupt parts of, of it. And I think when relationships break down, it's because like people no longer see eye to eye. Um, and that I think that's a natural life cycle um, of the ecosystem. Right. Have to keep that same friendship and the same like attitude that makes people friends of your content. And when you enter into being business partners, uh, that can be tough to do. It, it's always what it's like a classic adage. Don't like don't get into business with your friends. Um, also, don't live with your friends. And a lot of streamers do both. And so there's uh, always a potential for for some of those relationships to break down. But at the same time, in general, they've been very successful. And there's always going to need to be this uh, unifying nature to streamers because it's a great way of being successful. It increases your bargaining power. And AFK Creators is another fantastic example of that where, okay, maybe I could join an org or I can be part of a company like AFK that will help me open up, open me up to bigger brand deals that I might not be open to originally because I'm a part of this group and I could trust them to take the mantle for me. Yeah. And I think there's something to add on there. Like, you know, sometimes we, we, we get it from creators that, you know, they're part of an org um, and, you know, and they're happy. Um, but really we see ourselves in the position where, we are putting the creator's interests first always. And, you know, the all definitely will do that for you, but there's always got to be an underlying conflict of interest there. You know, like, of course, the if a team gets a budget for an activation, um, they're going to contract you and, and pay you additionally outside of your contract. Um, or, you know, in some cases, maybe they find that there's a line in your contract that means that you have to do it for free as an obligation. Um, so there, there's always like, at least in my in my opinion, a bit of a conflict of interest when people are on teams and the team then ends up representing them. I think this happened for a little while. And now one way in which certain teams are trying to get around it is by setting up their own agencies as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, not to name any names, but that this is definitely happening. Right. And... <laughs> Global. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah, there, there's, there's a few. It's not, it's not just them. Um, but I, I think that's like one thing to, to take into account. Like if I was uh, a streamer today and I had the option of, of joining a team, you know, like I can join a team, I can get opportunities through them. I can also have a, an agency representation. I can get opportunities through them. Um, in some cases, and I think this is going to happen increasingly. And in fact, with some of our largest personalities, I actually recommend them to do this is they should be building their own teams around them um they should be building a team that can help them across every aspect of building their brand and not just um from a sponsorship perspective they need to be thinking long term um i think someone who did this um really publicly is, is ninja um you know his his wife really really helps him on the business side but uh he also has has a team uh behind the scenes and i think stuff like this is is naturally um really important because certain individuals are entirely competent um to manage everything themselves but if they're really looking to you know go to the stratosphere they're going to need to have people who can focus on doing these tasks whilst they're focusing on doing their best um, from a content creation perspective or a playing perspective 
um and it's better to you know have people who are experts in it and that's what they do every day um then you know having having your friend do it for you stop hiring your friends to do things there's so many stories of this from like the music worlds and also the athlete worlds of people who like hired their friends to be their manager and sometimes it works out great like sometimes it does work uh but in general you should just let professionals do that and let your friends be friends and support you and not have them like manage your finances or things like that just a helpful word of advice especially when you're a 18 19 year old content creator and your friend is also an 18 or 19 year old um they might be great at it but they're probably not uh, well there, so. there is there is great people i mean like I, I what i love is like when you see case in the sea and like you know benji fishy's mom or caps dad you know they're like they're quite like some famous examples where like parents are so supportive they get fully involved too and like one of the things i always say is like it's not necessarily just like the professionalization part. I think it's just more the, um, you know, if things go wrong, right, it's very easy to be like, all right, this was my agent's fault. I'm, I need to go get another agent. But if, if it's your, if it's your, like, you know, your friend and it goes wrong, it like, you know, it ruins your whole world. Um, and I've definitely seen this. You mentioned it earlier, you know, streamers living together. Like you've got to understand, like, are you friends? are you are you cohabitants what is it you know what is the arrangement you're entering into and i think that's often where things go awry at the core yeah it's anybody who's lived with friends for for some amount of time just knows that by by the end of a year that relationship is usually different sometimes it's changed for the better and you're like they're your best friend now and it's all great but oftentimes it's create a bunch of issues that you didn't necessarily need to have in that relationship. Uh, Matios, I want to be conscious of your time. So I have one final question for you, um, which is sort of this, not just the rise of the gaming influencer and the gaming creator, but also really how impactful they can be. And we've talked about some of the the interactivity of the platforms they operate on, uh, the fluidity of them, how, how quickly they can change, how quickly they adapt a tough-to-reach demographic. So... I'm curious, as gaming creators are becoming the biggest in the world, what are the positive attributes of gaming influencers and gaming content creators specifically compared to other influencer marketing options? You know, you usually hear about Instagram as the prime premier destination for influencer marketing. What are some of the inherent benefits of gaming influencers specifically compared to other influencers who brands might work with? I think it comes down to... Um the accessibility and i think often this is provided by twitch but i think it's also provided in the background story of a lot of uh gaming content creators um people can become a gaming influencer overnight like it really does happen like that you know someone uploads a video on youtube it goes viral they were always pulling like 50 kill videos in in warzone um and lo and behold now they have you know, 500,000 people watching every one of their video and, and 1,000 people tune into the stream. Um, and I think it's that c- connectivity that then comes from that because those people's dreams become true, but they understood that they were a viewer first. And so they really connect with their audience. And the reason why I say it depends on their background because of this is if you think about your favorite sports player or celebrity movie star, there's a real big impossibility or wall up to to achieve that dream and often you know maybe the people were really wealthy in the first place or they went to a super privileged school um 
in this case, it doesn't have to be the case. And I think that's that personal connectivity makes all the difference. And so you see this come through, like a lot of gaming influencers. Yes, there's exceptions where people are chasing the Lamborghini, but a lot of people aren't chasing this sort of wealth that they're showing off. Like a lot of people are just like happy to get paid to play games um, and do it every day and entertain people. Um, and I think that's really kind of like the striking difference for me. And it, you see this because occasionally you will work with people outside of the gaming space and the mindset is just so different about, you know, making money and, you know, how they use their audience as well. So I think that's one thing people are extremely conscious of and it's a real great thing. People only want to promote products that they generally believe in for the most part um, and that they think their community will like because they understand that they wouldn't be where they are today if they haven't built out a community. Absolutely. Community is at the center of it, even as gaming uh, becomes a much bigger industry than music and film. It still has this sense of community that those other industries don't seem to have. And a large part of it is what you mentioned, the gatekeeping aspect. You can see these people go from, you know, 50,000 subscribers to 100,000 to 500,000. Then when they top a million, it's like, wow, I was... I was there for this. I could see this person's evolution as a content creator in real time in a way you just don't get to see really with other industries. Yeah. I mean, you said the words out of my mouth. I'm smiling because, you know, I was there. I think that's the big phrase that everyone always uses, like in Twitch chat or on the comment section of YouTube. Like I was there when you uploaded like your first video, or you had 10 subs or you pulled off that headshot back in the day. And I think that is the real humbling phrase where you meet your favorite Twitch streamer at TwitchCon, you meet him in the flesh, they just your average person, and you say, oh, I was there when you did this, and the two of you instantly connect because like, it's such a special moment, and, and they're shared by more people. And I think in complete other walks of life, normally those I was there moments are shared. Like, I was there when you scored the goal in the final, and they missed you know, those 10 years that the person was working in and out every day to get there. Um, and I think the journey is just shared. And like that's why everyone in the gaming community is so open and so, um, you know, so positive. There's there's a sense of like support for me recently. It's been Ludwig. I was watching him back when he like first started doing like some poker videos here and there. And he just recently topped 1 million subscribers. Uh, and he also just had uh, an appendectomy. So I'm going to shout him out on this podcast. I got two more episodes left, but I use this platform for the content creators I support. I'm uh, hoping to talk to him this week. So, Oh yeah. Okay, well, yeah, he's, I, I've been a huge fan of his content for a long time and he's experienced so much success recently. Um, just watching his his viewer count grow like crazy, watching his YouTube subscribers go like crazy. Uh, it's awesome. It's really, really cool. And there is a sense of like, hey, I helped that happen in some way. You know, it's like I'm part of this community in a way that like I don't take any credit for one of the sports teams I follow being bigger. Like I don't feel a sense of pride in that as much. I'm like, yeah, it's a that's a team I follow and I support. Um, but when it comes to content creators like that, that like connection that exists there, yeah, I'm like, dude, I'm stoked for you. I'm so stoked that you are having this much success. I agree wholeheartedly.
Awesome. Well, Matios, this was a really fun podcast. Uh, we got to get going another 30 minutes, I'm sure. I want to give you one final word. What do you want people watching out for, looking for, following when it comes to AFK creators? Honestly, I, I wouldn't put ourselves first. I just, you know, keep watching the top content creators and supporting them across all channels. And hopefully, uh, you know, you see our, our name down on the bio, supporting them behind the scenes along the way. Um, I just kind of think that everyone, as you just said, like in this in this industry, everyone contributes um, by supporting and being positive to, to others, really putting in everything they can. Absolutely. Even though this industry is getting so big, there's still a sense of, hey, a rising tide lifts all of us. We all should do what we can to support this industry because that is what's in the best interest for all of us in the long term. And that's a really special thing and one of the reasons why I love this industry. So that takes me to a little bit of personal news. I still haven't chosen my next stop. I know this is it, and I know I'm starting a new job in April, um, and I will be sure to keep you all updated as to what that job is. But first, we have another week of shows on the Esports Minute. I'm publishing this one on Friday, and then one final Esports Network podcast, episode 194, and I'm bringing on Adam Fitch, formerly ESI, where we worked together. Now he works at Dexerto, and we are going to do a no-holds-barred state of esports media, and you can be assured that's going to be a very interesting discussion because... Well, it's my last episode, so I want to leave y'all with a couple bangers on top, starting with this one with Matios, and then Adam Fitch on the state of esports media coming this next Friday. That will be the final episode of the Esports Network podcast. Uh, the Esports Network might take this over and start publishing more episodes in the future, so I should say it's my final episode of the Esports Network podcast. Thank you once again to all our listeners. This has been my favorite undertaking that I've ever done in esports over the last two years has been an absolute blast. And thank you all for listening, supporting the content uh, throughout the last two years. I'll be sure to keep you all updated on what I'm doing next.